0: I am really excited to be here uh, to share from God's Word with you guys. Um, I, uh, my, my background here is uh, I, about a year ago, I, was, uh, I went through the licensure and accreditation procedure for our denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance. Uh, and so um, I hope that you will cut me a little bit slack today because this is my very first whole church sermon other than 9 o'clock this morning. So um, I appreciate that. I, I did. I approached Pastor Jim and said, hey, would it be okay if I could get on the calendar? I didn't, I didn't want to make a big deal out of it or anything, but I, uh, I do know that this is something that, um, that I feel led to and called to, um, so I do want to, I did ask him, and, and I'm th- so thankful for him and the elders to be gracious enough to um, allow me this opportunity to share from God's Word with you here. Um, I am a high school math teacher that's my background. I'll probably pull that out a couple times today. I can't help it. Um, That's just kind of, it it comes, it flows naturally out of me. Um, And uh, you've probably seen my two children running around. Alina, well, Julian doesn't run yet, but Alina's the the almost three-year-old who probably has hit you on your your rear end at some point here. She just does that randomly. We're working on it, but um, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So... (laughs) Um, and Julian is the massive six-month-old that, uh, that some of you have held uh, for hopefully not too long um, because otherwise you could send your medical bills our way for the back pain. So, I grew up in a tradition of uh, altar calls a lot of times. Some of my earliest memories were the end of a church service where people would be called forward and, uh, and there'd, be, there'd be this, this massive uh, outpouring. And, you know, and, and in an elementary school I went to, at the end of our uh, spring musicals, the pastor would go up and be very impassioned and, and, and talk about, you know, if you want to be saved right now with every eye closed and with every head bowed in this room, that kind of stuff. And, and I want to tell you, like, I'm not making fun. Of that, there's absolutely like that. That's real. That's something that's legitimate. You know this. This moment of salvation is something that's absolutely legitimate. But uh, my problem, and it's not a problem with that. My problem is that oftentimes, and, and you can hopefully think back to maybe a moment when you chose to give your life to Jesus, and after that, what happens? Um, I was talking to someone after the last service, and he said, you know, after after salvation, it actually got harder for me. I mean, Jesus says, you know, "If, if you believe in me, you have life, you'll have abundant life. That's difficult because there are times when I've felt that uh, that you know just because I'm struggling with something because there are things that are going wrong still in my life because I still feel like even though sin's curse has lost its grip on me sin certainly hasn't at least it feels that way was my salvation even real was it just some you know moment, you know, a moment, uh, emotion thing that popped out of me at one point because the worship songs were great and the message was fantastic. Was it real? First, I want to say that absolutely salvation is in a moment. It absolutely is. I think about the example of Paul in, uh, in the book of Acts. Paul was someone who with great zeal was persecuting Christians for what he believed was the right cause, He was going out, persecuting. He basically presided over the coats uh, during the stoning of, uh, of, of one of the first martyrs, Stephen. And on the road to Damascus one day, as he was going to persecute more Christians, Jesus like, pow, came in. Blast of light. Jesus came in and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Stop it. And Paul basically, now, now we can get into the theology of this later if you want. We can chat about it. But Paul basically didn't have a choice at that point. Paul was saved after that moment. Jesus came in and was very real in his life and had this moment of salvation. And Paul, okay, yeah, you could say Paul could have chosen one. Would he have, if you see the real Jesus like that? Anyway, Paul had that moment of salvation. And Paul even wrote in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. Salvation does occur in a moment, but it really seems like there's a tension here in the sense that, yes, we are saved in this moment, but wait a minute, what about everything after that? If there's this transformative moment of salvation, isn't that supposed to last? Isn't that supposed to be something that just comes easy after that if we've truly been transformed? So let's see what uh, the Holy Spirit spoke through Paul to the church in Philippi. He said, therefore, my dear friends, that therefore is important. We'll come back to that later. As you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, Paul was with them for a while, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is not Paul talking about some past event. This is Paul talking about some sort of progression, something progressive here. Now, first, I want to mention that fear and trembling thing. Now, I'm a high school teacher, like I mentioned, and I don't get nervous about speaking in front of groups, and I'm not really, like, nervous here today, but I've got some fear and trembling because I know that handling God's word is something that's a big deal and shouldn't be taken lightly. So I identify with this fear and trembling right here, right now, in this moment. I hope you recognize that. In the same sense, Paul's talking about this salvation being worked out with fear and trembling. It's not a matter of, you know, I have a, I have a six pound dachshund at home. Her name is Lily. She's the most pathetic little thing in the world. <laughs> Honestly, like, she'll bark at you when you come in the door, and then when you're in, she'll. She just, it's fear and trembling. That's her life. I'm not talking about that, but what I am talking about is recognizing that, as the author of Hebrews says, this is such a great salvation, it's something big. It's not something that uh, is just something we should trifle with here. So I want to make sure we're on the same page moving forward. So let's take a look at what this passage says here. First of all, salvation is more than a moment. I, like I said, this is not something that Paul's talking about as a past tense. This is progressive. Continue to work out your salvation. Ongoing. Something that we keep on doing. So doing here. The second thing is salvation is something that requires work. And I do not, I just want to head this off right now. I am not a heretic. I am not saying that you must do something to be saved. No, not at all. Uh, Paul in the book of Ephesians says, for it is by grace you've been saved. Through faith, and this is, this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works that no one can boast. No, no, I'm not talking about salvation being something you work for. What I am talking about is that we have a responsibility to work out our salvation moving forward. We have a salvation, uh, we have the, the, the need, and, and the work here is, is a really interesting word in the, in the original Greek language. And are you guys familiar with the term rot, as in wrought iron? You know, you think about worked iron, wrought iron. Rot is the past tense of work. And I want you to think about it with that, because that's the context of this, uh, of this thing here. Because I was thinking even uh, going through, and I've taught this passage before, but going into this, uh, this message, I'm like, wait a minute, what if, I'm, what, what if I translated that word wrong? What if it's just like working out like a, like a tip at a restaurant? Because in that case, it means something very different. We're just like trying to figure out what it means. But no, that's not what it says. This passage is saying we need to put work into this, and it is not work to gain salvation. It is a work as a result of the great salvation that we have. It's something that requires work. The way that I like to talk about this is that uh, working out our salvation means activating it. You've all got probably a, a demon rectangle in your pocket, a cell phone, right? So I guess it's not less of a rectangle, more of a rounded rectangular prism. But, oh, sorry, math teacher. Um, so it's got a SIM card inside of it. And those SIM cards are great on their own, but they really need to be activated in order to get something out of it. Are there any kids in the room? Any kids in the room? Looking for someone like second to fifth grade? Looking for two. All right, come on down, Bella. Who else? Who else we got? Who else we got? I'm ignoring you, Aaron. Yes. Yes. All right, come come on down. I can't see who it is behind Matt there. Oh, Alexa, yeah, come on down. Awesome. I've got something for you. Should have said be right back. Look at this. There's a reason I didn't call Aaron down. This was his bike. Okay. Okay, so I want you guys... How are you on bike? She's looking a little bit nervous. You okay on riding a bike? Yeah, okay. You're okay on riding a bike? All right, come on down here real quick. One of you, who wants to go first? Oh, did someone actually fill this up? Wow. In between services, the the tires magically got filled. All right, Bella's going to go first here. You all right? All right. So what I want you to do is I want you to ride that bike without using your legs. Ride it over to Nate over there. No, No, you can use your arms, just not your legs. Nope, don't even use those. Nope. Hmm. Anything? No? Ah, man. Anyway, let's try again. All right, all right, come on over here. All right, breathe. So you go ahead and sit on, I know it's such a beautiful color for you. Go ahead and sit on the bike. Now you go ahead and ride using your legs. Go ahead, run right into Nate over there, kid with the hat. There we go. There we go, right into him. All right, very good. So round of applause for these two real quick. Yeah. What if I told you guys, you guys can stay here. Come on, come on back with the bike. What if I told you guys that this bike was all you needed to get into heaven? Great, right? Cool. Okay, wonderful. Stick with me. It's a lot better, though, if you're able to ride it. It's a lot better that if you have the bike, having it is one thing, but being able to ride it across is another thing. And unfortunately, Miss Bella just couldn't do it. No, I'm sorry. You're great. You're great. I I set you up for failure. Thank you guys. Round of applause for these guys. Anyone want a bike? Bike? No? All right. In the same sense, we've got this great salvation. Let's activate it. And I don't mean like, well, let me say what I do mean about activating. What I mean is make it something that's active. James says, faith without works is dead. Faith without works that comes after it is dead. And that's been something that has has kind of caused trouble in so many people's lives. It's the same kind of thing that made Martin Luther say that James was an epistle of straw. But it's true. Faith without works is dead. And as a result of this great salvation that we have, we need to activate it. There are some theological terms here that we have for uh, these different parts of our salvation. Um, The first one that we have is justification we are already justified. The work that has been done in us has already been done. Justification is a legal term that uh, talks about our standing with God. Where are we? We have right standing with God because of the justification. And folks, I want to tell you that this is available to everyone. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. That justification happens in you and you are promised eternal life in heaven. The second part, though, is sanctification. We are being sanctified. We are being more like God. The word sanctification has to do with being made holy, being made more like God. So we we take what we have, the salvation that's happened in the past, as well as what's happening progressively, working out our salvation. Let's take a look at the next verse, though. Verse 13. It's in the middle there. I put it up there with verse 12 so we could see it all together. You like how I did that? I gave you only the first half and not the second half. It's an old teacher trick. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Here's the amazing thing. Two things. I, I only have one thing written down, but I'm, I'm getting a second thing out of this here. The first thing is that we're not alone. This isn't a, a bike riding experience that uh, we, we have to do all on our own. We, you know, I, I had someone in the first service, one of the, the young men who was here couldn't actually ride a bike, so I had him be the first person. But I didn't just say, okay, go ride the bike on your own. We've got this Holy Spirit that's inside of us. Jesus, in one of his last conversations with his disciples, said, I'm going to send you guys a helper. Sometimes translated as an advocate. The Greek word is paraclete there. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit who's inside of us, who will lead uh, us into the truth. Uh, it's, it's not, it, you're not alone in this. This isn't something you have to work out on your own because God is constantly working in you if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. The second thing that I think about this is, sorry, is fulfilling God's good purpose. God has a purpose for this world and this universe and everything that is bigger than us, yet that includes us. And God is working those things. The book of Romans said, we know God works all things for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. And that's something we can't leave out here. Our working out of our salvation works toward God's bigger purpose in his work in us. So I said I'd mention that therefore there. The therefore takes us back. Therefore says, okay, Paul is writing something, but it's not just this, this cookie-cutter passage in the middle of something. We have to get context because of this word therefore. If you ever are reading the Bible and you're reading the word therefore, you know, don't just take it for face value. Go back and see what it's talking about. So let's start at the very beginning of this verse. Therefore, there's a therefore again, but we could keep doing this for hours, folks. We got lunch to go to. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. The if in this passage is not some strong conditional statement. It's not some idea that, oh, if you check all of these boxes, then do this. You know, it's like, okay, there are some things that are written to some Christians, there are some that are written to others. You know, Paul gives instructions to deacons and elders of the church. To most of us, that doesn't really mean much right now. I mean, thinking about structure, okay, sure, but to our personal lives, it's not as applicable. But This is not some strong conditional that may or may not apply to you. This is something that should apply to every Christian. Folks, if you're a part of the family of Christ, this is a conditional where the if is true, therefore the then is true. Thinking back to geometry class. (laughs) So this if here is something that's true for us if we're a part of the body of Christ. So as a result, the then part is true. This is what we should do being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And I think Paul's whole argument here kind of condenses to this next part. In humility, value others above yourselves. The reason why I believe that word humility is very important here is because of, uh, because of the example that Paul gives next in, verses, in verse three and verse five. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, pretty good example to follow by, right? By any, you know, I don't think there's too many people who think he was a bad guy, right? But as Christians, we believe so much more. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I'm going to leave that up there for just a second, just to, just to, if you have any thoughts that you wanted to write down that are coming uh, as you read that passage, I'll, I'll just, just about 15 seconds here. I know it's going to sound a little weird, so I'm filling the space, you know, for the live stream. Those who are, are listening don't want to think they dropped it, but let's take a look at some ways that Jesus modeled his humility for us. First of all, Jesus was God, But he didn't use that to his own advantage. Think about the times where Jesus could have used the God card. Think about the times where Jesus was mocked and abused and and had people say negative things about him. But you think about even when he was on the cross, they dared him to step down, and Jesus could have played that God card and said, Look, I can do it. And they would have been like, Ooh. But Jesus didn't take that tactic. Jesus instead stepped back and allowed others to criticize him, to abuse him, to belittle him. Instead of destroying those who went against him, and you think about all the, uh, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law and the, the Sanhedrin and, and all those who came up against him, Jesus could have been, pff, wiped him right out. Or even the Romans who were oppressing the Jewish people pff, could have wiped him out. But instead of doing that, he forgave. And he was focused on his mission to seek and save the lost. And instead of keeping attention on himself, instead of selling tickets to the show, he kept turning the focus back to the Father. My hope for you guys is that as we talk through these things, I will have some sections of application at the end, but I hope that you can see the applications to humility in our own life through the example of Jesus. Secondly, Jesus was king, but instead he made himself nothing, made himself a servant. Jesus was there at creation, ruling with the Father at the very beginning, before the earth was made, and he has the credentials of quite the king who could swoop in and take an earthly crown. In fact, some people wanted to give him one. Instead of using his kingly status, he became a servant. He washed his disciples' feet, he spent time with those who needed him the most, even those who maybe uh, were on the other side of morality and he rejected taking the throne of earthly kingdoms. And the last example I saw of humility in this passage is that Jesus chose obedience, which meant death on a cross. Obedience is such a it's such a bad word in today's society. In our individualistic society where, you know, you you do you, you know, that sort of thing. But Jesus chose obedience instead of doing what he wanted. He knew that his life had purpose. And that purpose involved dying on a cross. And that's not to say that Jesus didn't have moments where he wished it was different. You think about his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, Oh God, Father, if, if it's your will, take this cup from me. But he obeyed. This passage uh, goes on right before the, where we started here in verses 9 through 11 saying, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus fulfilled his earthly work and currently reigns with the Father in heaven, fulfilling God's purpose. Once again, folks, I know I mentioned it earlier, but there's nothing I would delight in more then if you're on the fence about these sorts of things and you feel God tugging at your heart saying that I did this for you, I sent my son as a suffering servant who died on the cross, come to me. It gives me no greater joy than to, to hear people go through that and to, to talk through things and to, to have God, uh, to figure out what God's saying to them and hopefully um, come to a, a, a knowing God, knowing Jesus themselves. So for those of us who, are, who could consider ourselves a part of God's family, what, what do we do with this? How do we, uh, how do we go with this here? Um, first of all, if I'm talking to you, and trust me, I'm not, I'm not you know, preaching from up above here, although I am a couple steps above you here, but um, it's something that I have to work through all the time. Continue to work out your salvation. I'm talking to you here. Because salvation is more than a moment. You have been justified. You are being sanctified. And that process is hard. And there's this, this mystery. Uh, pastor Eric McAdams, who, who was a pastor here for a few years, he would talk about it as this tension and this mystery between God's, uh, God's uh, glory and God's uh, sovereignty and man's responsibility. We've got, we've got these things, this sanctification being pulled along in tandem here. And the goal is that one day, We'll be glorified. That salvation is our ticket, but the sanctification happens along the way to bring us closer and closer to God. The second application for you is when you're looking to ap- activate your salvation, you should look no further than the example of Jesus. There are a lot of great examples of humility in the Bible, but you know what? The ultimate one is Jesus who was God, who was king and came down and humbled himself, humbled himself even to death on a cross. Take every opportunity you have to learn and practice that humility. And finally, remember that it is God who works in you. You are not alone. God has brought you here to a church with, uh, with people who want to help you grow. Um, God has most importantly given you his Holy Spirit, the helper, the advocate the one who will show you into the truth. Take advantage of that power. It is possible to quench the spirit. Don't let it happen. Hope Church, wouldn't it, and and I, I don't think I'm overstepping here, I think it would be a really great thing if we were able to do this together. If we were able to Think of others before ourselves. If we were able to, um, as as we have a senior pastor candidate coming in next week, if he's the man God's chosen for our church, to put our side, put aside our, our views of how things should be done or how they have been done. I mean, I I, I have to tell you guys, I. I've struggled with this for a long time and it's something that I'm finally coming to grips with and finally putting down my pride and being able to say, you know, I, I have a huge, huge gossip problem as it pertains to Hope Church. I do. That's um, it's something I'm not proud of, but I like to craft the narrative. I like to talk in a certain way. What if we all got rid of that? What if we all relied on God to, to take that away from us, and maybe maybe your issue isn't gossip. Maybe you need to humble yourselves in other ways. Uh, what if we did it together, folks? What if, as a church body, we came together and and truly uh, lived in this way? And I, I I just imagine the amazing things that can happen if we're working together with the with the prompting of the Holy Spirit here in Brunswick and around. Paul gives at, uh, at, the, at the end of this section here a few just more practical ways to talk about this. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. <sighs> Man, I grumble all the time. <laughs> Lauren can tell you that. She's not here anymore. so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation folks isn't isn't our generation warped and crooked I mean, it always has been. I mean, you look back at, I, I, you know, I remember as a, as a kid going and touring some of the Mayan ruins down in, uh, down in Mexico and seeing um, you know, the, the, the human slaughter that they would do and they'd play a game to decide who got, it's just like, it's always been that way. The generation, this was written 2,000 years ago and it was a warped and crooked generation. Folks, the warped and crooked generation isn't going away, but through God's help as we work out our salvation, following the example of Jesus We have that power to do things without grumbling or arguing. We have that power to live our lives and to say, God, make me more blameless. Make me more pure. Make me a child of God without fault in this warped and crooked generation because then you'll shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. I'm going to pray and ask the worship team to come up as I do that. Um, friends, let's not let this be the end of this conversation. Pastor Jim is uh, going to start a series on such a great salvation, the salvation that we have. Let's keep thinking through and keep fighting through these things. And let's do it together as a church body. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful that, uh, that you provided an opportunity for this team, this worship team to play. I'm so thankful for who they are and their hearts for you. And um, Lord, we, we ask today that you, the resurrected Lord, continue to resurrect us, continue to, to help us to work out our salvation through the spirit that you've given to us. Lord, we love you and we want to do your will and we want to serve uh, the purpose that you have for us, for Hope Church, for this community, and for our world so thankful for your heart your heart to save the lost Lord help us to get on board with that help us not to get taken down by grumbling or complaining or arguing or, or, or putting ourselves in our own titles and our own, uh, our own uh, desires and our own thought of oh this is, what, this is the way we've always done it so we've got to keep doing it Lord help us to get rid of that and instead to work together in humility following your example through the spirit that you've put inside of us. I'm so thankful for this church and the family that's been to me, Lauren, and the kids for years now. Lord, guide us through this next step. Guide us through what it means to, to candidate a new senior pastor. And, and if, he's, if he's the man you've chosen for us, Lord, help us to welcome him and not not to subvert him, but to bring him in and love him and, and submit to, his, to, to, to him as he submits to you, Lord.